0: It's me again.
1: <laughs>
0: okay, so, like me, you could buy your way into the Unsung Podcast. These guys provide us with so much wonderful listening pleasure and some other not-so-wonderful songs and <laughs> albums as well, but that's by the bye. Anyway, what you should do is consider donating to these three... Wonderful influences on the local and international music scene. <laughs> Thank you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Fantastic. Never felt so important before. Uh, Mark, how do you go about donating? Uh, Go to patreon.com forward slash unsungpod See some very nice things you can get for your money And some ridiculous things if you've got ridiculous amounts of money Which I think it might take off soon actually Because it's just totally far school Um, But yeah, uh, you can start from as little as $2 a month And you'll get access to bonus episodes And early access to every single episode that we do And... And then it just scales up from there. Eventually you can get yeah. t-shirts and masks of our faces and,
3: you know, just full bodysuits and stuff. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, so we're doing... We do kind of generic t-shirts, but we also do custom shirts where you get to pick an album cover and we'll somehow fanny ourselves into the scenario. And that's turned out pretty well so far for the people that have got one. They seem pretty happy. And... Also, you can, as Anna said, buy your way onto the show effectively. You can, for a certain level of donation, you can basically pick the subject and we'll do one. We're actually going to release one of those very shortly. And that's kind of cool because you can choose anything you want. Uh, we've done a couple in the past and, yeah, mixed results or can certainly mixed we- quality.
0: Can I interject here? I just also want to make sure that the listeners know that I did not buy my way into this particular (laughs) episode. Bad Religion is certainly not my choice.
4: Yeah, I would actually... Am I too late to buy myself out of this episode?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah!
3: I really don't appreciate it. It's like, you know what? You know what, Anna, you were invited here, and this is like turning up and complaining about the dinner, right? Like, oh, I don't like this. I didn't want this. Me, me and Mark, me and Mark spent the best part of twenty odd years slaving over a hot stereo, like right, getting into this band, and you'll bloody like it, okay? Okay. And there'll be Bye. no dessert unless you finish.
0: <laughs> okay. Let's just uh, do
2: the episode now Right, you've got me in a mood Wait, one more thing Sorry Chris, I know you're in a mood But I need to just uh, do a couple of So if you, if you if you do $5 a month We'll do a, a personal anthem for you And we will ask you to send us your favourite albums And a lot of people haven't done that So we've just went Fucking totally cavalier So I'm just going to shout out Three of them just now Mr. Coy yeah. Robinson Who is Like he is He's got one of those t-shirts That Chris has, has uh, mentioned And it's a fucking belter as well um, We decided his personal anthem is La Belle Age by Pat Vetter.
3: Chris, La La Bellage Bellage. uh, by Pat Benatar. (laughs) 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 What what a tune. What a tune. Honestly, it's absolutely huge. I'll stick a sample in here and I will enjoy doing it. Uh,
2: Best friend of the pod, Craig Carrick, who literally did buy his way onto the fucking show. (laughs) 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 Uh, Waiting for a Start to Fall by Boy Meets Girl, which has got one of the best saxophone bits ever, I think.
3: No doubt, but seriously, he'll be
2: really, really pleased with that. And my friend Jason, who is Greek, and I can't pronounce his surname. And the last time I tried it, he S- just, he just S- laughed at me.
3: Simply S- echoes.
2: I think so. I said that last time, and he just laughed at me. So <laughs> um, hyperspace by Nada Surf, and he actually messaged me afterwards and said, "Who picked that song? Because it's a belter." So well done, Chris.
3: Yes, that is a great, great song. Yeah. Um, Alright, you're welcome, Jason. I'm glad I got it right. Yeah,
2: so let's go on with this fucking shit show. <laughs> Should we go back to the old intro?
3: Aye, let's do that and let's fucking turn about and we'll just throw Anna in at the deep end. Okay, this is t- totally unplanned and the look in her face is, is brilliant. <laughs> so let's, let's roll with it.
2: Um, yeah. Hey, folks, welcome to the Unsung podcast. I am your host, Mark Fraser, and I'm joined by Glasgow's two best comedy Bond villains. Oh,
4: yeah, the right of my minute.
3: screen is Oddjob Oh, that's a low blow! I knew <laughs> that was coming. We've also got a femme fatale as well. That's how patronising is that, Anna? Um, okay. Yeah, Miss um, Funny Penny. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and to my left is Gold Member, Mr Chris
3: Cousin. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I got introduced twice and Dave got none. <laughs> you know, we we never actually noticed when we stopped doing that. I've not traced it back, but that used to be the format and it just some at some point fell by the wayside if you know if you know the answer to that question please please get in touch <laughs> if, you, if you know more about our show than we do <laughs> what the fuck are you doing
4: <laughs> well um so i guess if you do know this show though then one thing that comes up in unsung podcast bingo is how early into the podcast will chris mention bad religion Or Nazis.
3: (laughs) Or Nazis. (laughs) Yeah, and this is like a cell phone, because Anna used to always rip me after the fact... When I'd go mention Bad Religion or Pennywise during an episode relating to punk, because it was like my go-to kind of pattern So it was like, well, fuck you, Anna. This week we're going to do Bad Religion. You're getting invited on.
0: Yeah, yeah. Very pleased to be here, and I will not be doing any woo, woo, woo sirens every time you say Bad Religion
3: for a change. Yeah, we don't have a Bad Religion alarm. We've got a Prince alarm.
2: Yeah, we should have a Bad Religion alarm. It should definitely be a woe or a harmony or
3: something. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> Folks, if you haven't guessed, we're doing bad religion this this week, uh, probably the next two weeks. If, if I'm brutally honest.
3: This is definitely good. This is a two-parter. Let's just be honest, right? Yeah, so let's just
2: out the gate with that. Yeah, (laughs) um, we decided to do a head-to-head. So, uh, initially when this was announced, I said I was going to do Suffer, which I've since changed my mind on, and I decided to do the process of belief. Which is a great album from the early 2000s.
3: Um, and Chris has picked. Well, yeah, when this was announced, I, I decided not to say what I was going to do because I didn't know. So uh, I've decided to do The Grey Race from
1: 1996. The Grey Race inside, the world it creates is black and white. The Grey Ray shrivels, inside, the world it creates is black and white.
3: The perfect! I was yeah, I was definitely torn and I, I I did actually really consider the process of belief as well, so I'm not against your choice, but mine's better. <laughs>
4: so <laughs> and then we have two impartial referees, is that correct? Anna, what what's your bad religion background?
0: My background is that they're a band that I've listened to since I was a teenager through friends enjoying them or them being on different compilations. I think they were on like Punkorama and. Punkorama,
3: like all, all of them. I think yeah. they were on all Were they not the first song on the first ever Punkorama? Hey, do what
1: you want, but don't do it around me. I don't let this anticipation breed apathy. I sit on my ass oh God goddamn day. I'll miss every, every big employee, but not.
2: Well, yeah, you know, me. Brett Brett I does on the label that put the the, yeah. the, yeah. <laughs> the
3: compilations yeah. out. So. I'm pr- I'm pretty sure they were the opening track of the first Punkarama CD and then they were on all of them almost still. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so that that's my experience of them. Um not a band that I've ever really got into because to be honest the vocals don't really do it for me. And interestingly enough though, listening back to them because of the recommendations from you guys of what we were going to be covering this week. I can appreciate a lot more of the songs now, I think, than I had previously done. And even even the vocals on some songs um, are okay with me, because I'm normally more into the kind of shouty punk stuff. And there's a lot of singing in Bad Religion songs and melodies. And I'm more into the kind of raw, visceral sound in comparison to that.
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, just on, on the subject of the singing I just mm-hmm. had a note that he I, I'm very similar to you mm-hmm. I've never really got into Bad Religion and I think the vocals Are a big part of that And to me I've said that they they just sound Like a sort of man in his 30s who will tell mm-hmm. you f- For quite a while why why his Android Phone is better than your iPhone He's got <laughs> a large selection of <laughs> waterproof Trousers and he's definitely going to Try y- get you into rock climbing
0: <laughs> that is oh. a wonderful. Why, wonderful eighteen albums of that,
3: and what I just I, biology? my god, <laughs> genuinely, genuinely have a friend called Dave who has a large collection of waterproof trousers, <laughs> really <laughs> likes rock climbing, <laughs> almost certainly has like, and one of those old uh, Android phones, and mm. likes bad religion. Well, well there, there you, you go.
2: Are target demographic yeah he's a, he's <laughs> yeah. a
3: star um, you
0: really hit the nail on the head with that one
3: I'd, I mean the reason like I mean Bad Religion is one of the ones that again a bit like P.G. Harvey right from the very 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 start it was sort of in the back of our minds certainly Mark and I uh, Anna I think one of the reasons I really wanted you to be part of this other than just to break up the ch- pure sausage fest that is this podcast was and this um, band <laughs> and this band, yeah. um, was because I'd I enjoy the fact that you you are like one of our punkiest friends in your own distinct way. Like you've got your own quite nuanced tastes in in the genre uh, that that don't always kind of match mine, but I, I dig that and I like the fact that we've kind of not never really quite seen ITI in Bad Religion but I've also mm-hmm. never had you sort of like sat in a chair not allowed to move for two hours like hey l- let me actually uh, try and articulate what it is about this because I suspect that a lot of the things you don't really get excited about in the band are actually quite similar to the things that I don't get excited about by the band um, and I was quite encouraged that even your early texts to us when you'd been spending time uh, listening to them for this I was like I think she's, I, I, I do think we're, we're kind of on a similar trajectory here. Um, I'm just a lot further down that road. Um, mm-hmm. So I was really kind of keen to explore that. And I know Dave's like... Dave's a big fan of like a big tune. I know that. And while Bad Religion stylistically can be a little bit narrow, they, I mean, they're really unabashedly into melody. And I don't listen to a lot of like punk punk, certainly not American punk, but the ones that I do tend to be the ones that really go for the jugular with big, big songs. And... As you get later in Bad Religion's career, that becomes more and more of a, a feature. I think they're definitely a, a, a card-carrying punk band early mm-hmm. on. Um, they were kind of, re- I mean, Godfathers of that you know, SoCal scene. And I think from like from their early albums, we'll go through the albums. Obviously, we'll go through the members as well because that's quite informative. But from H- Could Hel- how Could Hell be any worse? Through it, maybe recipe for hate. They were really, I think, a punk band, albeit a punk band that were trying. Other things, but from uh, Stranger Than Fiction through the Grey Race and a, a, a little bit onwards, um, they became more of like a big rock band mixed with a punk band. They'd always kind of thrown in the odd big anthem, and I think they really started to straddle that for that point onwards and embrace the sort of arena nature. And they're not an arena punk band; they were never anywhere like as big selling as likes of Green Day or even Offspring. But they had arena anthems, you know, so they would play slightly bigger venues. The uh, Bad Religion are not gothy in the slightest in their image, but seeing their songwriting, it's quite. They're one of the closer bands melodically to the Misfits that I can think of. Like in terms of going for minor notes, minor keys, minor harmonies. I know the Misfits were a much much darker, gothier themes, but I just mean in terms of the actual like melodic structure of the songs. It's quite downbeat. Even some of their most like buoyant songs are actually quite negative in tone. And I always loved. That minor aspect to their songwriting. And I also think, like, aspects like, we'll, we'll obviously talk about Greg Graffin, the front man, and probably, I think, the only member that's been in the band all the way through. His intelligence is very. I think when Dave talks about that 30-something man talking about his Android phone, that's really Greg Graffin. He's a PhD in zoology. His lyrics are ridiculously ambitious, and I've got like a, uh, I've got a schooling with Dr. Graffin special round for later in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but his intellect, his high-level vocabulary especially, set them apart. Um, I think uh, Brett Gurwitz or uh, Mr. Brett's uh, credibility, as, as a sort of punk... Pioneer, DIY guy, the the founder of Epitaph Records, plus even just the fact, you know, he had those years of like drug addiction and that. He's just like a punk rocker, and they really, the two of them married really well to create this band that had a mixture of kind of cerebral and emotional credibility. Not a lot of other bands really could find that balance. Um, And I think. Because of that balance, because of the amount of credibility they had, they had a licence to experiment, and they ended up not being quite as boxed in as some of their, some of their contemporaries. Which is why, you, especially as you get on in their catalogue, you see them branching out in sort of slightly more ambitious directions. I just think they're a really, really interesting band in regards to their enduring quality, their credibility. I mean, I know there's some albums that absolutely suck balls, but over over the over the course of like a forty year career, that it's pretty remarkable. I, I mean, and cards on the table for me. I was really, I was seriously thinking about this this week. If someone said to me, pick your five favorite bands, if you could only have five bands and you could take their discographies away with you, would you pick Bad Religion? And I was like, I think I would. Yeah, and I genuinely might might even pick Bad Religion at the expense of Fugazi. It's <laughs> how much I like them. Are you fucking mental?
4: What?
3: <laughs> I'm, I'm not.
0: not uh, I, what? I'm not even a Fugazi fan, right? And not that I'm not saying that I don't think they're a good band, that's that's not it at all, they're just not a band that I listen to. I think they are a very good band and I actually cannot even understand how you would put Bad, bad Religion in their place. So I'm interested to hear what you've got to say today that's going to counter that idea because it's just shocking to me
3: (laughs) (laughs) don't get me wrong i mean i am like an absolute card carrying fugazi yeah but that's what makes it weirder is because
4: surely you're aware of like the range and the dynamics of fugazi (laughs) (laughs) well just uh, dynamism. yeah um (laughs) dynamism i think is the word and then uh yeah you compare that to Bad
3: Religion but, but he, this, is, this is the thing that sorry I don't want to go too far down that right the, I mean my top 5 is a, a hallowed thing that clearly everybody listening to this podcast right now desperately wants to know but Bad Religion I've been listening to now for 25 years and see just as the, the grey race wound to a close when I was making my notes I was just fucking beaming and I was like that album is still just amazing it's so so good it's fun it's buoyant, I can sing along with it, it's just great, and it's great in a way that isn't, in the. it's not, it's not hard work at all, and there's virtually no albums I've had for that length of time, and we're, we're talking about Nirvana, which would be probably my number one, and I don't listen to them anywhere near as much as I, could, as I would listen to Bad Religion now. They haven't aged anything like as well, and that's that's really taking me aback for doing this episode I'm like, I can put them on and have an excellent time And talking to friends that I got into the band at the same time as They're the same They're like, man, it's fucking great going back and listening to this band They're so, so good I think it's, well,
2: there's two things I would probably add to that um, First of all, we've, we've spoken about it a few times Usually when it comes to punk records But, you know, some of the other things that we've covered as well It's like, simple things done well is a fucking really hard thing and I'm not saying Bad Religion are a simple band. Like a lot of the stuff they create is actually deceptively difficult, especially from a punk point of view. Um, but that kind of nuance to the songwriting, and then also the complete timelessness of it. Like they were ahead of the curve at the start, and the curve is still catching up with them in a lot of ways. Whether that's yeah, you I mean, know riff wise, or you know, they were probably the first skate punk band, one of the first skate punk bands without a shadow of doubt, and one of the premier hardcore punk bands of the the
3: mid '80s. That sound is still not aged really that much at all. I think it's interesting how they just they, they, they predate and postdate most of their rivals by, by some way. And I'm not saying by any means they've had a consistently brilliant career. They've had a lot of very, very poor records, increasingly so in recent times. But yet, at the same time saying that, they can still throw in the, an absolute ripper. Their last album has one or two brilliant, like genuinely brilliant songs in it The, the album prior to that is really good um, Yeah, we'll go We'll go through the records I just, there's something about this band that, uh, as Mark says I think they, they really stuck to the task Whilst also suitably pushing out the margins of it Into slightly bigger anthems and stuff along the way And they, it's just dated so, so well Anyway Right. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Anna. I know. I can see. See, <laughs> other people can't see your faces rapidly contorting <laughs> and looks of like disgust. <laughs> 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 this is why I'm trying to look away from the computer screen to finish my sentence right? i
0: sorry, I'm sorry okay.
2: yeah, as um, I want to say something before we start It's actually quite remarkable that me and Chris have managed to agree in a punk band that we both love like that's, a, that's, a, that's a high watermark for this podcast
3: in and of itself <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, The thing is Mark, and I, as I will testify Pretty much any other time there's been a punk band or moments of a punk band I've liked It's because I've been like, that's a wee bit like bad religion Yeah <laughs> So, I found different accounts of this right for the very, very uh, start. Yep. 79 or 80 did they form? Who knows? Who really knows? <laughs> was, well,
0: was I, was very... just, I was just looking at it on the Wikipedia and it said 79.
3: Yeah, but other places said 80. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. Anyway, 79 or 80, we'll say thereabouts um and as we mentioned greg graffin the original vocalist uh jay bentley was the original bass player albeit he's oh, he's the longest other serving member of the band that he took a couple of years out during an absolutely farcical period that they had which we'll talk about um and uh who else who got brett Gurwitz. yeah um and there's a number of other people that have been in and out the band over the years. Uh, that we'll just run through them just now because they do lend a lot of the the credibility and contribute to the mythology of the band in a lot of ways because they've got so much pedigree. Uh, Spread amongst them I'm not even going to go into some of them Because there's too many But Greg Graffin First and foremost The singer Really distinctive uh, voice He's also done bits of synth Unfortunately As well as piano Acoustic guitar He has a PhD in zoology From Cornell University That we mentioned Um, Greg Graffin wrote As a a thesis That you can get hold of uh, Which is called Evolution and Religion Questioning the beliefs Of the world's eminent evolutionists Mm Mm-hmm
2: He's uh, got a couple of books out as well About the same topic Yeah,
3: he does have a couple of books um, he's, One of them is Is belief in God... Good, bad or irrelevant Which I think was like a kind of long-standing Dialogue he had with a a guy called Preston Jones Mm -hmm. Preston Jones is a a lecturer at John Brown University In Arkansas Which is a Christian university, a religious university But he's also a big fan of the band And the two of them had got into this like Protracted dialogue and decided to collaborate On a book and just sort of Go up against each other Um, That sounds like a chat in a kitchen In a party that I would definitely (laughs) avoid (laughs) 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 <laughs> it's just like a chat in a kitchen at a party that I wasn't invited to, but that I lied my way in. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, I mean, Greg Graffin's stance on his beliefs is quite interesting. We'll, we'll touch on that a bit later. Um, he. Uh, what did he settle on? He, he doesn't He's go for atheists. He goes for a naturalist, mm-hmm. which he says has. I, I kind of get where he was coming from. He said that naturalism implied more of a, a methodology. That he believes in the study of natural phenomena and science and everything is verifiable and open to reappraisal at any given time when new information becomes available. Whereas he felt that Atheist was a bit too much of a full stop. It didn't really suggest anything about the methodology, about how you got to your beliefs. Uh, But he's certainly not religious uh, and... I mean, he's quite famously so, he's he's spoken at various things as a result of that. Uh, he has a Rushdie Award, a Salman Rushdie Award, uh, from Harvard Harvard uh, Humanist Society. He also has, did you know he has an extinct bird named after him? Yeah, saw that, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Quilania Graffini. Um, he, uh, one of the best facts that I found out about Greg Graffin is that uh, he actually wrote a pilot for a TV show called uh, The Punk Professor. Professor, (laughs) (laughs) Which is clearly like a comical version of... um, uh, who who, uh, Who wrote Atomized? What's his name? Hulibet, um Michel Hulabek, the French writer, who's like a lecturer and all his books just happen to feature an ageing lecturer who's lusted after by 18-year-old students. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine uh, the, the punk professor being something similar. And on that note, uh, one of the one of the best facts I remember uh, finding out about Greg Graffin, back when it broke in Kerrang, that uh, indispensable news source, was that uh, he was caught wanking online back when, uh, in the early days of wanking online. <laughs> nice.
0: Was
3: that when, on uh, like
0: Face Party or something like it that? It was
3: on, uh, was it AIM? AOL yeah, like- Instant Messenger. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, a girl bought the thesis as a present for her boyfriend, hoping he would sign it, and uh, it had an email address on it that was per- uh, or I don't know somehow they got connected in AIM, and uh, yeah, and it just this just basically culminated in him spunking on camera. That's amazing. Uh, and <laughs> he wasn't married at the time; he was a divorcee, which is either more admirable or more tragic. I can't I can't tell. Um, and. Uh, the boyfriend of the girl was actually just off camera the whole time
0: fuck yeah, (laughs) that's amazing
3: (laughs) and he was apparently watching it, he's a huge bad religion fan, he's like
4: oh my god
3: Greg Graffin is jacking off over my girlfriend that's amazing (laughs) I
0: mean, see see if there was a musician that you really admired would you sit off camera while they wanked over your partner
3: I can't say that I would uh, be into that Mark would, ma- Mark would have let Prince do Enon.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Literally so small. Mark, Mark, would have, Mark would have driven home to his parental house With his fucking laptop And slid it under the door While his mom was in the shower For Prince, right? <laughs> that's how much he's into that um, But that's never going to happen now Because Prince is dead He's so dead um, <laughs> Um, Mark, do you want to talk about Mr. Brett? Uh, I don't really know if I can follow that. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, so yeah, Mr. Brett uh, Brett Gwerowitz He formed Bad Religion with Greg Raffin in high school. Ken kind of, Epitaph Records was kind, of, was kind of the big deal, and the first the first the first release in Eptaf Records was the f- was the first Bad Religion re- EP, um, which is just called Bad Religion, 1981. <laughs> And since then, he's going on to be, well, shall we say, one of the
3: forefathers of punk rock. Can, can we say that? Can, can we say that? He's certainly know. one of the most powerful forces in it because he's, I mean... I mean, the success of Epitaph Records is also the the success of a number of other bands mm-hmm. that yeah. that might never have broken through if it wasn't for him. And he's been quite diverse in what he's released as well. Yeah, I mean, Epitaph's
2: whole vibe is, was always just to release punk rock records. But as time has went on, he's he's not been not been too fussed about changing with the times and what DIY and what kind of punk is. I guess to him, um, Epitaph Records are probably the biggest indie record in the indie record label in the world. If you can call them that, I guess a, technically a half. half half an indie label now because half is owned by Sony I think
3: mm-hmm. um, but he's well, obviously we, we've mentioned them before because they had an offshoot called Anti mm-hmm. which was responsible for a lot of good releases as well such as Tom Waits when Tom Waits became a bit more of a, an eccentric so Epitaph is kind of the th- apart
2: from Bad Religion Epitaph is a as one of his things And he's also a, Quite a well known producer As well Apart from producing All the Bad Religion records That he's been been on With the exception Of some of the later ones um, For whatever reason That has. He's also worked with A lot of a lot of seminal Punk rock bands Like Not FX, Like uh, No Use For A Name Like Rancid Pennywise You know All, all the ones That were on Epitaph I guess he, He's worked with at some in, in some capacity yeah, At some point As
3: a producer Did um, you hear that Anna He said Pennywise And you didn't give him shit
0: it's within the
3: right context,
2: though, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and he's definitely got a distinctive style as a, as a producer. we'll come on that as we go through the records.
3: Yeah, I mean, he didn't. He didn't start out brilliantly. I mean, he did produce some of the kind of medium middle period Bad Religion stuff. He produced a Generator album, which sounds like shit. Totally, we'll talk about that totally. as well. <laughs> um, also, a guy that has had. Uh, High-profile problems with drugs yep. over the years. So he so actually, I
2: think, they seem to culminate at roughly at the same time. So when the Grey Race when the Great Race came out in '96, he left. He left the band after the Stranger Than Fiction tour, and then in 1997, he was admitted to well went any hospital for addiction um, treatment. And I guess maybe everything was all falling down around him at that point. Um, also, interestingly, he's a Deist,
3: which is completely at odds with fucking. Uh, he but he with called O'Grick. himself a p- a provisional deist thats yeah. how he described it. A provisional deist is very non-committal, isn't it? It's like, I'm a deist, I sort of believe in something, and provisional is like, well, I'm about ready to sort of believe in something. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's like, well, I'm about ready to uh, uh, invent a new colour, but it uh, doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen. So I'm, I'm not really sure how seriously to take that, but maybe he's just getting old. Maybe, well, maybe. he's just he's getting fear of death. Maybe. <laughs> uh. um, I, will, I will say, I had... I haven't gone into depth in this, but I was under the impression he left just a few weeks before the tour for Stranger Than Fiction, not after it, and that he was replaced for the tour. Uh, but he did perform in the album. So just in case somebody jumps down our throats, one ends is right. Yeah,
2: but I mean, they seem to have all come down, kind of crashing down around them, in roughly the same couple of years. I don't know if those things are related. Like one of the reasons he doesn't tour with Bad Religion now, apparently, not just because it's a full time job. Been the, the owner and CEO of Fdaf Records, but also because apparently he just fights with them if he's on the road with them. Take take from that what you will. At this point, he has he, mm. the only time apparently the only time you can ever see Bad Religion with three guitarists has been to play in LA and maybe some kind of overkill, specials. isn't it? Yeah, I mean, having three guitarists on stage when you're a band like Bad Religion is completely pointless. But mm-hmm. I guess it's a cool thing to see, right? Um, yeah. So he rejoined the band in 2002 with The Process of Belief, which is really interesting. We'll probably touch upon this in a little bit, but you've picked the album, the first album when he wasn't on it, and I picked the first album when he came back. Back, yeah. Which is kind of weird. Um, and since then, they've kind of... It's weird to th- it's weird to think about how they've been since then. And we'll cover it in more detail, but they've kind of not got any bigger or smaller. They've kind of maintained since, since The Process of Belief, which is
3: pretty cool. Um, mm-hmm. So the other... Kind of founder member that we talked about was Jay Bentley. Yeah, uh, and Jay Bentley, bassist, he, he left from like '83 to '85, which is basically the the era that is into the unknown, which is when the band—I don't want to say inexplicably, because there were other bands doing it—but the other bands that did it, like Wire, did it to much greater effect. Decided to go in a sort of proggy, synthy post-punk direction, mm-hmm. and it really didn't pay off for them. Um, it's uh, you, you know weirdly though. It wasn't the worst reviewed album at the time But um, definitely it, It's been sort of blotted out Of the band's history sonically Since then But Bentley left at that point He also has done like shifts with TSOL Circle Jerks, Wasted Youth And uh, Jay Bentley's the guy from Bad Religion That took part in Me First and the Gimme Gimmies, Which was actually yeah. a, a Pretty fucking great covers project
2: Um, Do you want to know what Jay said about uh, Into the Unknown or shall I leave that Until we talk about that
3: record because it's quite funny <laughs> Yeah we'll co- we're going to talk about that so that we'll come back to that um, We've got Brian Baker uh, Brian Baker in, c- in case you recognise the name Is also one of the founders of Minor Threat Stand Which is about as credible a punk pass as you can get. That's like a triple A punk pass. Uh, Dag he, Nasty and
2: Sam Hain as well. Like you can't, we can't yeah, talk about those bands, like this guy's fucking legendary.
3: Absolutely. So that's it's a hell of a replacement for Britt Gurowitz in ninety four when he left for that um for going into the grey race. And I uh, obviously, I've picked that album, and I really like what Baker brought to the the party. Uh, you've got Greg hitson who uh, I've seen Bad Religion. And I fucking love this guy. You got the, was it the Hitson leap? Is now uh, a phrase for like a style of jump when you're mm-hmm. playing punk rock guitar because he was so hyperactive on stage. Greg Hitson was actually credited on "How Could Hell Be Any Worse," but he's. Official debut wasn't until Suffer. Is that right?
2: Yeah, that's right, yeah.
3: Yeah, but he, he played a solo in the track part three on uh, How Could Hell Be Any Worse? Mm-hmm. Who else do we have? Uh, Bobby Shire. Um, so Bobby Shire is. One of the most notable drummers, not the original drummer, we'll talk about them in a second, but Bobby Sherr joined for Generator in 90, he joined in 91, Generator was 92. Um, he played on some of the biggest albums, Recipe for Hate, Stranger Than Fiction, Grey Race, uh, he played in Tested, he was in No Substance, he was in New America, and then he basically developed, it, it, it was partly an injury but also the result of like RSI and a rotator cuff injury that meant that he, he, he apparently can't lift his arm above his shoulder. Um, mad. It'd be his right arm I think it was the hi-hat arm It was just some like repetitive damage That he did to that, that joint And he, he just can't lift his arm now So he he, he retired um, Just prior to the album that Marks picked And he was replaced by a guy called Brooks Wackerman um, And Session Brooks Wackerman had, also the drummer for Suicidal Tendencies, Which mm. is no small feat <laughs> Um, he played in the Vandals as well. Um, Britt Swackerman is a f- fucking terrific drummer, like a really terrific ju- drummer. The, the guys in Bad Religion at the time when he, he auditioned said he was the best drummer they'd ever seen playing live full stop. Um, he went on to do stuff with Tenacious D. Dave, he played in Korn for a bit, mm-hmm. did percussion for Korn. Big under, thumbs up for me. Uh, Sound of oh, Stripes. Right? I can't remember what album it was, but he played like percussion on one of the Korn albums. Um and he played for Avril Levine, presumably after Taylor Hawkins joined some other, other band. I'm mm. not sure. I can't remember the name. Um, and now Brooks Wackerman's in Avenged Sevenfold. Yeah. <laughs> a f- a favourite of all of us, I'm wow. sure. He replaced Mike um, Portnoy, though, so, you know. <laughs> well, that's true. Um, and, t- uh, and as I mentioned, like, Bobby Sher wasn't the original drummer. Um, that was a uh, guy called Jay Ziscrew Zyskru, or Zyskrut, um And he stormed out. Halfway through, how could hell be any worse sessions? Uh, because of some misunderstanding regarding promotional pictures. And apparently he, didn't, he wasn't happy with the photos or the discussion. It was a bit of a tantrum. Toys are thrown at the pram. He walked out of the studio, left them kind of in the lurch for the sessions, for the second half of those sessions, and was replaced by Pete Feinstone, who was, I think, they're like drum roadie at the time. And he finished the sessions and then went on to play with them for quite a while until '91. Well, actually, not strictly true. It was a different drummer came in for Into the Unknown uh, very briefly, but he was not invited back. But yeah, so, I, I mean, there's more musicians involved in that. There's more sense in, in the kind of modern history of the the band but I, I, I'm, I, I, I don't really feel like going to I mean it's not like we're going to get Greg on the show now anyway after illustrating his, his online browsing habits in detail
2: well it's probably worth mentioning the current guitar player who replaced Greg Hetson um, when he left I think it was due to addiction issues as well um, as a guy who used to play for the cult and sucker punch called Mike Dimkich and he
3: seems uh, like Greg a, Hetson was he was addicted to jumping <laughs> he was he seems like a lovely lovely man jumping
0: so. <laughs> <laughs>
3: addicted to jumping or leap. Depending
2: jumping on and that. leaping, same time, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I saw so he came in. Also, I apologize, Hetzen left because of a divorce, so there you go. Uh, Too per- much jumping, personal issues. Um, and he was replaced by a guy called Mike Dinkitch, who's currently the, the guitar player. And he seems like a lovely
3: chap. He um, spare a thought for Greg Hetzen's ex-missus, right? And he's on the bed, jumping about, practicing his moves <laughs> for tour, right? And she's like, Greg, just come to bed, and he's like, Oh, I've got to do a few more.
0: I think I need to see some live footage of this guy <laughs> to be fully in on the joke. <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: Sorry, Mark.
2: <laughs> anyway, shall we crack on then? That's what she said Greg Hitson's
3: wife, I mean.
0: Poor <laughs> guy, he's getting absolutely hammered by <laughs> you.
3: <laughs> Fucking hell, we're going to have to pivot here, guys, to save it. Um, how could hell be any worse, Mark? You like that album?
1: I've seen the
2: It's, I like it because it's snotty as fuck It's a proper punk record you know, Coming out at the very end of the 70s well, It started in 82 But it feels like it's a 70s vibe It's a cool album I think um, Recorded for there's some different accounts here on, on, on how much this record cost Wikipedia says 3 grand But the Bad Religion page says It was 1 grand loan from Brett's father And then the rest was was money left over From the sales of the EP And it was produced by Jim Mankey From, the, from Concrete Blonde Who I'm not familiar with yeah, it's widely seen as been one of the most important punk rock records of all time.
3: Uh, really interesting reading a Zach De La Rocha interview about it, talking about what a huge influence on him that album was. Mm-hmm. Saying it was like darker than most punk music at the time. There was something really oppressive and sort of intimidating about it. Yeah. Um I think the the back cover of it has like Dante's Divine Comedy. I think the oppressive kind of red and black picture of Los Angeles in the cover, the title um, tracks like "Fuck Armageddon This is Hell." There was something just quite intense about it. Yeah. Um, it's a really formative record. It sold 10,000 copies, which I guess just highlights the difference in eras.
1: for <laughs> your.
3: I never musically really warmed to the record, That's not the side of punk rock that I really give a shit about, yet listening to it, it's very, very apparent how important it was. When we did the pop-punk episode, you could really hear the repercussions of this album appear, uh, manifesting in other bands that followed them. Yeah, and you know,
2: it's, it's definitely raw, it's rough around the edges, Greg's voice still hasn't fully matured yet, so it does sound a bit bratty in places, um, but... I like the vibe of it And you know It is what it is And you can, right away right From the very get go You can totally see the, the, the kind of Divergent styles Of like Graf And then Gerowitz Right and, and their songwriting mm. it, it, it becomes apparent Immediately You know um, But it works You know And that, that's the, 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 whole, the whole sort of Crux of the band Has always been that That sort of Fulcrum of their songwriting Which I think Is the strongest point And I guess we'll talk about that A bit later
4: on When we get to the greatest But Did begins, you newbies Get a listen to this? Uh, there was a couple of songs that I heard It was alright yeah. And it's a bit more legit punk rock Did it yeah. not appeal to you?
0: I uh-huh. had a wee listen, it's alright
4: yeah. <laughs> like, It had a bit more edge Which I enjoyed
0: In all honesty, it's not like I hear Bad religion songs and think Oh that's a terrible song, I don't like it I, c- I think I can Now quite objectively look at the stuff And Think back to my previous opinions on them and think, okay, maybe just because it wasn't the style of punk that I liked, then I didn't like it. But now I can listen to the stuff and I can appreciate it. And yeah, I appreciated that. I think it was a, a good feat.
3: Yeah, as I say, it's just not something that really jumped out to me. And I think the band themselves were pretty unsure of where they wanted to go. I mean, I mentioned bands like Wire, who also did a sharp... Sort of right turn in the, 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 their career and went into this kind of weird electronic kind of post punk phase. So the album following this is the, the notorious Into the Unknown. Which yeah. is very, very self-aware Even just in its title Came out in 1983 And it's just a total What the fuck moment um, It's got a guy called Paul Dodona On bass It's got a guy called David Goldman On drums Different band it, They described it as They sort of described it affectionately It's a bit dorky They were really enjoying listening to the prog And decided for whatever reason That they thought it was a good idea To try and deviate towards that I read some comments saying that what this album highlighted was that this was a punk band that far from being very pole faced and saying that Excess was sort of gauche you know indulgent and bourgeois they actually thought that Excess was Pretty badass, and this album sort of showcases that. They're not a band that are necessarily taking themselves so seriously that they think you shouldn't enjoy or indulge in things that are a bit OTT. Um, and I think their vocals throughout their career have sort of have hinted at that anyway. Um, I but can drop this album, some knowledge on that if you want as well. By the way, I've got some cracking quotes about it. <laughs> sure, absolutely. Just in a nutshell, um, it did come out in epitaph. It was self-produced. It doesn't sound great. Uh, it's got tracks like "Time in Disregard," which is way over seven. Minutes and it's the longest song of their career Um, It did actually get some pretty favourable Contemporary reviews, some people quite liked uh, The direction they were going in Mm -hmm. But not their fans, their fans really Didn't respond to it well Yeah Mark, I mean, hit us with some so,
2: J Jay, So Jay's recollection Of this record Is uh, While well, we were still record- Recording the first song I was in the band For half the first song And then I walked out In the middle of it I wasn't really interested In pursuing a progressive Rock career Which is quite funny In itself And um, Brett in 1991 said we realised it was a blunder I think Halfway through doing it Which is weird
3: um, They burned boxes but, of this But yeah they, right? they kept going They, they, they burned, kept going yeah, like But they, I mean they spent Apparently their first album It took three attempts to record the first album But yet with this one halfway through They realised it was a mistake But they just fucking did it anyway What's that They've done it in a week think, as well
0: I mean surely they got to a point where they thought Right we've came this far now We might as well just continue with it And yeah, they mean that try long. it It
2: was like three years
0: <laughs> I'm trying to give them the benefit of the doubt here
3: Oh, well, we've never done it before, Anna. <laughs> so they, That's true
2: They pressed 10,000 copies of this record and it only sold like two uh, 2,000, not two Two copies It's a, <laughs> um, <that's
0: laughs> a wee shame for them
2: <laughs> uh, And it was so, it was like they, were, they, were, they hated it so much, right, that uh, Brett has actually fucking burnt at least three boxes of (laughs) (laughs) it. Like an an effigy. And he said in 2013 that it's the only album that he's embarrassed about writing. Um, You can actually buy it on eBay for over $100, which is quite funny. And You know the, cra- the crazy thing is they've done other albums since that you should be embarrassed about, right? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> uh, they still play the dichotomy live. They actually, they've actually been, they actually, were playing it in 2019 uh, on on the, wow. the start of the John Reason tour. So they still played a couple of songs, but they still, they still. Get, it's only part of dichotomy because they usually play it they play like Recipe for Hate like right into it. So it actually actually works quite well. It's like more of like an intro, I suppose. And mm-hmm. the best bit yeah. of trivia I could find about it was that um Greg Graffin uh, still has the master tapes in his basement, so if he wanted to remaster
3: it he could <laughs> Oh man. Maybe it would actually turn it alright if they remixed it. Maybe not. I don't know. Um and I think actually talking about like the self awareness of the title, into the unknown, the sense of just defeat the, the title of the EP that followed it. Just yeah. like, back, back to the Known. known. <laughs> like, so you just imagine the band slumped over, dragging their guitar along the ground, knowing a case, just like right guys, Back to the Known. The, here. the, sky,
1: the so nice and clear.
3: And <laughs> they just packed it up and that was it It's like 1985, right, we're done, we're going on a three years off The band's effectively over But An interest, it wasn't over Yeah, but
2: one interesting thing about that record before we move on to the next one Is that they didn't think that, even though even though the first record was sold 10,000 copies they, they still didn't think the band was ever going to be a serious thing So they were like, let's just fuck around and do another record That's what they thought when they went to make it and obviously it didn't quite pan out that way, um, but I kind of I kind of like the intention of like oh fuck it it's just we're just we're just young guys we're just a band let's just do whatever the fuck we want and it obviously completely backfired spectacularly.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, they didn't know they were going to be a band for forty years, so yeah, yeah. H- hindsight's a wonderful thing. Um, in 1987, supposedly Gurewitz had kind of cleaned his act up; he'd got off the skag, which mm-hmm. I believe was the the issue, and they decided to reform. And they created uh, a really pretty excellent punk rock album. Uh, it was 25 minutes long. Released an epitaph called "Suffer."
1: Like suffer.
2: Which mark you were gonna pick? Yeah, I was I was going to pick it because it's a it is a super record, this it it's timeless, totally timeless.
3: Yeah, in the words of Fat Mike, it's the record that changed everything. Yeah, um, and one definitely one of the most important punk records. Certainly one of the most important, like it's got to be top three American punk records in terms of influence. Um, really, uh, you know, one thing I love about this as well, it's got a really iconic cover. It's a little bit childish, a little bit pure. The little kids we skateboard standing on fire, but it's it's kind of great. Mm-hmm. You know it's got a naivety to it That's really really just Perfectly judged
4: I, so I always fun. remember this one getting mentioned In like best of punk lists When I was yeah. reading Kerrang And so I'm probably It's probably a good thing you didn't choose it Because it's probably the one that isn't unsung Out of their whole discography That that and probably Stranger Than Fiction are probably too, Stranger Than Fiction is
2: because it sold the most
3: um, Yeah well you know what I'm, I'm going to Draw a distinction there though. We'll come back to Stranger in Fiction I think the thing With this album is For me No offence I think this album's A little bit oversung I think it's hugely influential But I think In terms of like Actual listening They've done so much better Since it Now I realise It's all about context I realise they were young At the time And it was like Groundbreaking at the time But I mean It, it was 1988 It wasn't like The Stone Ages You know yeah. It wasn't it, was, it wasn't like The back of beyond mm. And I mean, There's tracks on it I love I mean not a lot of them. I think You Are The Government is by far the best track on the record.
1: Work and, edge. Taint, you're um,
3: and it's one that I've always added to mixtapes, but this, this album doesn't it doesn't do a massive amount for me, other than that. It, it, I, when you said it was your choice, Mark, I was like, I'm probably going to piss you off. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, it's wall to wall bangers for me. Just complete, like 15 tracks, no fucking around. There's no song over two and a half minutes really on it apart from Morning 244 which is still under three minutes it's just such a good record I think the fu- they're really good at doing like Bad Religion are great actually at doing like three songs in the bounce that are great You Are the Government A Thousand Fools Absolutely So good The,
3: the fucking the, the, the Bad Religion Triumvirate is like a big thing they do that in some albums where they just hit a run of three tracks and it's just yeah yeah. we're definitely going to mention that again to, to me this yeah.
4: this record sounds like the exact halfway point between Dead Kennedys and No FX. That's and I kind so of f- feel like the band sound like that as well, but like this
3: album specifically. I think that's a fair assessment at this this yeah. point. Definitely, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: I I really enjoy early Dead Kennedys stuff, so I can see that there. I think that's a good comparison between them, because what I would say is actually as time goes on, the Bad Religion sound to me becomes almost kind of similar to that social distortion type of sound yeah I agree, and, um,
2: yeah. yeah
0: i would kind of group those bands together but if you're going back to the earlier stuff then that makes sense and that's
3: more Mac in a sound. I mean, yeah, an interesting bit of trivia about this as well mm-hmm. is that it features three members of L7, uh, the, the Los Angeles L7, because we spoke about another one recently. <laughs> uh, it features uh, Danita Sparks and Susie Gardner both doing guitar on Best for You, and it's got Jennifer Finch doing extra vox on Part Two, I think it is.
2: Yeah, because Querowitz said he he was producing L Seven's L Seven at the time, Mm -hmm. so that would have made Mm -hmm. sense to get them involved.
3: Yeah, they also were one of the first names signed up for Rock for Choice that L Seven set up or helped set up the the Pro Choice uh, fundraiser musical event and then they re- regularly made TV and video appearances wearing the Rock for Choice t-shirt in fact quite controversially at points So a bit of trivia
2: I can share is um, Greg and Brett both wrote two songs a week for a month and then that's how they got all the songs for Suffer so it was like a, a massive amount of creativity to try and get to what would become their records and um, one thing that I really like about it is like a lot of people probably don't know this but all the lyrics are inspired by Dostoevsky and the whole concept like comes from like sublimation and catharsis can be achieved through suffering so like clearly at this That's point Greg's, deep well after after uh, after bad religion broke up after Into the Unknown and um, Brett fucked off with his heroin addiction. Greg actually kept the band going, just playing shows and doing that, that EP into the unknown, but when he was in college, you know, studying so clearly he had his head really into academia at that point, so not at all surprised that that kind of made it into this
3: album. So um they followed Suffer with no control. It's uh, the best album.
1: There's
3: no, of the no of When we all, we'll all have been again. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's on a lot of lists as a best album It's some of the fucking coolest artwork, I'll give them that It's another one with a really iconic cover That big neon spray-painted high-impact uh, logo that they've got The, art, the, the uh, artwork on that stands out because it
4: doesn't, doesn't have their branding on it It
3: yeah. looks more like yeah.
4: something, looks more like a Hip hop record or something
3: Yeah well that's It doesn't give away The genre And the music Yeah I absolutely agree with that It's, it's quite subtle In that respect um, It's only 26 minutes long It's faster It's a bit more hardcore Yeah uh, uh, sure. Uh, Um sure I mean There's more songs In this That I think Are really essential tunes I think like Big Bang <laughs> you automatic man i want to conquer the world mm-hmm. like their their songwriting was definitely improving they were they were they were still doing a lot of the same moves but they were they were just a little bit more astute in in turning those into like really Catchy, punchy, memorable things with, 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 with more hooks. But what, what you can um, see
2: on this record is that with Sanity, the song Sanity, like I think Jay said it during an interview for Stranger Than Fictions, like Brett has actually always wanted to be a pop songwriter. He's just never been able to figure out how to do it properly with bad religion. <laughs> It does get there with some songs much later on uh, And in the record after this But you can see it You can see what he's thinking with the song with Sanny On this record Which is fine It's a right song But it's a lot more kind of
3: Slower moving towards that Yep We kind of spoke about that Like at, like just at the start Bad Religion from this point on So the next album Against the Grain 1990 They start to throw in at least one song Per record That is like a, a sort of Slowed down arena rock style punk anthem, which is actually something that Offspring did as well, and I think it's, it's worth noting that, because obviously Brett was working with Offspring, but they started to find this formula where during these fast-paced albums they'd have something that was a much slower, much hookier and bigger, and on against the grain, it was 21st Century Digital Boy, which, yes, they went and re-recorded it, but um, it, it was a big, big change of direction for them There's other great tunes in that It's still quite a fast album Modern Man And Anesthesia Which I think is just One of their best tunes If we mm-hmm. stop But Against the Grains A little bit longer 35 minutes uh, It had apparently no promo on radio or TV at all, but still managed a hundred thousand sales, which was kinda of a testament to the, the credibility and the sort of word of mouth that the band was enjoying at the time. Um it was also the first time as well that uh, Bentley wrote a song by himself and I think there's a Bentley Hetson collaboration on that. So that was the first break from the formula of like Graf and, and Gurowitz. Have you any thoughts on that one? It's all right. Have
4: you, my favourite thing about it is Robert Criscow's The self-proclaimed Dean of American Rock Critics I love His that three game. word review Life still sucks
3: One star <laughs> <laughs> Is that a uh, shit sandwich? Is that what that is? More yeah, or, or less I bet he was very proud of himself Good day's work there
2: um, One um, of the things that this album really highlights Is this is when the harmony start to come in properly this yeah, is the record true. for that 21st Century the Digital Boy is a great example of that but like you say Chris it's got Modern Man
1: a Modern Man
2: Anesthesia. I like Flat Earth Society. I think it's pretty good. Entropy's pretty that, that's good
3: a, too. That is a good song, actually. You're right. I think Anesthesia. The the harmonies are what make that. The way they trail off the last line of every chorus. Um, I think that's just fucking tremendous. Mm. And that that was a big. Uh, what's the word? It, it, it really distinguished them fr-
2: from from the peers. Yeah. So think about the band at this point now. They've been gone for about ten years, and in the past three, they've just written three albums, which have completely. Invented and changed punk, and invented
3: a whole new two whole new genres, you could say. That's fucking incredible, man. So straight off the back of that, with that sort of tweak in their songwriting style in mind, they went into Generator in 1992. Now I believe that Brett Gerwitz had moved into a new studio. I don't I don't know too many details, but they fancied recording this there. And I think is this the one that was that the album was recorded almost completely live, which mm-hmm. I think was a bit of a departure for them. Um, it doesn't sound great. And you know what? It's a real shame because just as you were considering Suffer Mark, I was considering this as their unsung album. I think this is a really fucking good record. I just think it sounds crap. I agree. And that's really frustrating. It was the first album they did with the drummer Bobby Shire, who went on to do loads and loads of stuff for them. It's the first time they ever did a music video for the song Atomic Garden. my I'm by the birds They took a lot of chances with the songwriting on this album. They really went in some interesting directions You've got Generator, which is essential with their live sets now uh, You've got Heaven Has Fallen, but you've also got stuff like Atomic Garden uh, which is unusual. You've got The Answer which was like, their big sort of, rock moment for this album mm-hmm. The
1: heavens changed it, but it
3: Which I, don't, I think didn't land anywhere near as well as 21st Century Digital Boy or the likes of American Jesus and stuff that came after it. But I think it was trying to be that. Um, and they've also just got great songs like Fertile Crescent. My my mind,
1: I I is baby, my
3: which I think... Really up there with some of the faster earlier stuff like you, but uh, yeah, the, the sound quality drags this this whole album down because otherwise I think it's a very underrated collection of songs. It's something that works really well live. There
2: was also no, there was like no preparation or rehearsal before they had the studio for this as well, so they were basically just playing the song until they learned it, then record, then hit the record button, which is not the way that I would do it for that way. Um, so,
0: do you think that comes across in the sound where there's maybe like a lack of? Emotion or enthusiasm Or whatever if it's just They're not as attached to the songs If it's been a quick turnaround like that you
3: See when you I've, I've done this uh, we had a first album where we'd written and gigged the songs for years And then made a second album where a lot of the songs in it had never been played live And y- songs do sound different when they've not been sort of um, road tested Totally it, it, mm. it, there's, there's aspects of them that you realise don't work in a live environment mm-hmm. And they get tweaked as a result Even if it's just a sort of pitching of the vocal Even if it's when a guitar comes in Even if it's a tonal thing What makes sense in the studio and in your head doesn't always translate particularly well once you take it out in the field and this album sounds yeah like mark says it sounds unroad tested like the sounds and the arrangements might have evolved slightly had they been forced to play them in front of people and really realize what needed an extra push what wasn't working what was over long um it does actually sound a bit like a, a studio project in in that sense and it is weird the subtle uh, almost imperceptible but very very important uh, changes that you make uh, just in that slow, gradual process of road testing music, yeah. So.
2: I mean, this song, because this album is a lot more intricate, like melody wise, and, and kind of you know the way it's structured. And they've got a new drummer at this point who who they said is who had like a lot more range of ability than, than Pete did, and Pete was pretty good. And um, so it's, I think it's really interesting that not being able to work out those kinks, like Chris says, and from my experience as well, like if you kind of really want to be playing those songs live, or at least putting them in the same room. Together for a long period of time, you know, which didn't really seem to be the case with this record. And I think it's good and bad in some ways. I don't think a song Atomic Garden would have been the way it was if they'd played it live a lot. So I think there's like pros and cons to it. But that and the and the actual recording, the actual sound of it, it really knocks it down when it really shouldn't be, you know, considered to be a lesser bad religion record Mm. on the on the face of things.
3: Yeah, songwriting wise, I think it's a really strong album. But I would have loved to have heard it better produced and. Gigged first, I think that that could have really helped it kind of fulfill its potential. Mm -hmm. I do think it's underrated though. Um, I really did the artwork's dire. They apparently had a lot of disagreements about the artwork for this record, and it's so dull and grim. Yeah, it looks really
4: sort of like post grungy. It could be like, or it could even be like a Pixies album cover or something, but like without any anything memorable. But it definitely doesn't look like a punk record. Yeah, it's just remind 92. me
0: what year it was that Nineteen, It
4: was n-
3: Nineteen Nineteen mm-hmm. recorded also. in 91 And then it came out a year later yeah, so and that kind of
0: makes sense then Doesn't
3: it yeah. mm-hmm. um, Talking about that era as well Obviously you had a huge feeding friends with alternative bands um, The Bad Religion made a, a A controversial Transition from Epitaph To Atlantic and they made it Just after releasing uh, The next album Recipe for Hate In 1993 <laughs>
1: Best for all
3: humanity. It originally came out in Epitaph and then was re released in Atlantic. I'm not sure actually, I'd imagine there's probably a fair amount of like collector's value in the Epitaph original issues of this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but the cover on this is actually great. It's a mixture of, what is it, the dogs' faces were taken from a picture in Auschwitz, and the guys' bodies that are in the cover were taken from two white supremacists that were, like, acquitted in court and came down the steps laughing outside the courtroom or something like that after, after a lynching or something. It's it's a really loaded cover. It was done by a guy called Fred Hidalgo, who also did the cover art for Smash by Offspring, another great record of this era. Um, it's it's a bit mixed this album It's like trying to write rock But I don't necessarily think That the songs totally land They've got punk tracks like Kerosene They've got Skyscraper and stuff
1: They've
3: got an absolute Belter in this song which basically props up the album in the track American Jesus which is one of their all time classic tunes like huge huge song for this band showed they had like the ability to write an anthem and I think probably really cemented their their, their their deal with Atlantic, um, it, it's a, it's a brilliant song. It really is a brilliant mm-hmm.
1: song. The Jesus, the ring, the
3: Jesus, but the album overall. Whilst it has prominence in their back catalogue, I've never really understood why. I don't think it's a particularly playable album. I think I think you're probably right there. I think it's I think it's good in places, and the songs
2: you've highlighted are probably the ones that I would talk about as well. To be honest, Struck in the Earth is pretty cool. I don't know if you mentioned that But yeah There is that um, I think f- Like Eddie Vedder Does a backing vocals On American Jesus Which is mental which, <laughs> Mental <laughs> um, The thing that I liked About it the most Is that You start to see them Experimenting With alternative rock Which play a, a greater part in, in subsequent records I think you would, You'd like to think That maybe Atlantic or, or labels Were approaching them At some point And that's maybe Why they started to think Like this I mean Greg, Greg and Brebo have both said individually in separate interviews... ...that they weren't actually thinking about it to make it more accessible. That's not what they were planning on doing. It just seemed to come out that way. But they tried to approach it in a different way... To, ...in order to kind of shut up their critics, apparently. So maybe mm-hmm. that's why that that happened.
3: I mean, if we're going to get serious... ...so what they did for... ...in my opinion is absolutely eclipses this album... ...with the next album, uh, Stranger Than Fiction... ...which came out in 1984... It was fully on Atlantic. There's two versions of this, by the way. There's a version which I think is about 36-38 minutes or something like that, and then there's one that's uh, a bit longer. And see the extra tracks on the bonus version? They are uh, some of the best tracks the band ever did. And it's mind-blowing that they were only there as as bonus tunes. I originally got them on a bootleg, and I didn't even know that they were meant to be on this. Um, so, yeah, this is their full major label debut, sort of. The context of it, as well, is that it came out the same year as, like, UK offspring were huge. No effects were happening. Weezer by Weezer was coming out. There was there was a move towards kind of emo and punk and kind of alternative. I don't know. Like I know Weezer and No Effects are very different, but they do sort of have a crossover appeal. And Bad Religion were I think trying to appeal to that. Andy Wallace was involved in the production. Mm -hmm. Who'd worked on Nevermind to well, great effect. If you want to sell thirty million albums, not great effect of your Kurt Cobain, and you don't want your tracks to sound overproduced, but um, I'm sure he got over it when he looked at his bank balance. Um, there's four singles in this. For me, I think this is the best album overall. Just going to say it. I di- this wasn't by any means the first Bad Religion album I got into, but it's got at least two different Bad Religion triumvirates in it, where they just hit in a run of three songs that are just incredible it's got a lot of variety in this in the delivery and the style of the songs the quality of the recording and the production is just superb um i think some of the best tracks in this are actually not even the singles um handshake is one of their best tunes of all time Tiny Voices, Better Off Dead, Hooray For Me, Fuck You, and as I said, a couple of the bonus tunes, uh, including News From The Front, and uh, Leaders and Followers, which was actually the first Bad Religion song I ever heard, because it was on the soundtrack to uh, Clerks. (laughs) Clarks, oh, clerks. Clerks. Yeah. That's, I think that's the tune that's on when they're running away from the funeral in the film. And uh, I'd first heard it on Bruce Dickinson's Radio 1 rock show. And <laughs> I was taping that. And nice. I absolutely love that tune. Um, this also has a whole bunch of cameos on it. I mean, Mark mentioned Eddie Vedder on the previous album. This has Wayne Kramer, the MC5, on the opening track, uh, incomplete, playing guitar. And that actually works pretty well. What doesn't work well is Tim Armstrong, that cock, appearing on television <laughs> to do vocals. <laughs> I've I always hated that, even before I hated Tim Armstrong. It just doesn't work for me at all. Uh, it's also got the guy for uh, Jim Lindbergh of Pennywise. Mm-hmm. Pennywise, Anna? Oh, Pennywise, on, of course. <laughs>
0: so that makes track, sense.
3: <laughs> yeah, on the, on the track Marked. The sense of the bigger songs and this is often attributed to them having a major label deal. But I, I really don't see that. I mean, I do genuinely think that across the three previous albums, wait, American Jesus... On recipe, with the answer, which I don't think was great, but on gener- tried to be on generator with 21st century digital boy, on against the grain, they were clearly showing that we're trying to do bigger songs. And Ma- Mark mentioned Gurewitz's sort of ambition to do these popier songs. Um, and you've also got Andy Wallace now in doing the mix and the production. Yeah, so like you've and got a huge actually- bit of polish right there. Exactly, so even if you weren't doing a polished song, Andy Wallace can polish a turd. I mean, I don't think any of these were turds, but he could make something sound really fucking good. Mm -hmm. And uh, actually there were criticisms at the time that they'd signed to a major and overcompensated by avoiding writing anthems. And the reason that they ended up re-recording 21st Century Digital Boy for this album is because uh, Atlantic were unhappy at the lack of potential singles on the record. They felt that the band had gone too punk with the album, and they insisted that they, they they do something. And the band just said, "Well, how about we redo this this banger, this one single that we, that we re- once wrote?"
4: Yeah, well, that's that funny enough. Really when Mark mentioned a while back that they've stayed the same size basically throughout their career, I I kind of feel that it's because they have been very steady in terms of releasing solid albums, I and mean, then yeah, maybe their later ones get less solid, but their legend increases. But they've never really had big hit singles, and so they've just never gone out there and like got a mainstream audience. It's just like preaching to the uh, converted. Well,
3: there was always I, like an, sorry. There was always like a kind of hundred and twenty minutes vibe with them. You would hear American Jesus or Twenty First Century Digital Boy or something like that, but it was always on the kind of off the beaten track rock shows.
0: Yeah, what I was going to say is I think a lot of their singles over the years have then been on the likes of that p-rock channel that we used to have when we Mm -hmm. were younger and i think there's a band that's so iconic that because they have spanned such a long period of time that young people have then grown into adulthood enjoying them the next generation of young people does the same thing and they span over those different generations and i think when you're a bad religion fan you're then consistently a bad religion fan for your whole life whereas there's other punk bands that folk maybe get into as teenagers and then fall away from it over the years Mm -hmm. but i think probably like you say their consistency and their consistent style is what maintains their audience in a way that other people's fandom fades
4: and also because they maybe don't aim at like teenage heartbreak songs or you know whatever they're yeah they're enough for a 17-year-old reading his their first Chomsky book to get yeah. onto, but then you can still be listening and reading that when you're f- 50, so...
3: Yeah. Yeah mm-hmm. I, I think they, they never got big enough To risk jeopardising Their own credibility either mm-hmm. I think if they were Ever going to break with that It was when they signed To Atlantic It was controversial You know it was Somewhat hypocritical It's a bit like The Rage Against the Machine thing This is a band that really Has quite a, a, a large amount Of political content In their lyrics And I think even In this album You can hear them Wrestling with their their Consciences and their critics They're tracking it Called Handshake And the, the theme of Handshake Is like every time You shake someone's hand It determines where you stand It's got a line in. It, uh, contracts determine the best friendships but then later on in the album there's a track called hooray for me fuck you where he says the line I like the things I do so hooray for me and fuck you and sort of glorifies in the fact that he s- feels he's still doing it in his own terms and he gets paid to make punk rock music and it's sort of a bit nihilistic and It really feels like there's a slight inconsistency over the course of the album in terms of how they're handling the accusations of selling out. Um, Musically, they don't sell out. As I said, some people even thought they overcompensated. Um, But it it was an interesting spell for them. And if they were ever going to blow it, I think this was the point where they were going to blow it. But as Dave says, it didn't get big enough to risk blowing it. They were never going to do American Idiot or a fucking musical. It just wasn't on the cards. Um, And the highbrow nature of their lyrics didn't lend itself well to American Pie. I think yeah. One, one I love thing. how
0: you say highbrow nature of the lyrics just after talking about a song called "Hooray for Me" and <laughs> "Fuck
3: You." <laughs> yeah, but, and it's and it's very knowing. Okay. Uh, it's okay. okay. they have got an,
0: self-awareness.
3: <laughs> exactly. I think it's an interesting
2: point you you mentioned those two songs, Chris, because the handshakes written by Greg and "Hooray for Me, Fuck You" is written by Brett, who both have completely different approach. They're going to have both completely different approaches as to why, as to what the major label. Like, identity is going to be bringing them. Brett's mm-hmm. been working for fucking years and he, he doesn't need to be on a major label at this point. You know, he, he just, he, well, to be fair, in hindsight, he was probably like, fuck, I have just really smashed. I'd probably, we probably didn't need to sign to Atlantic. <laughs>
4: yeah. 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 Yeah.
2: But he um, also says that he thinks Infected should have been the first single, and I happen to agree. In the middle of punk In the middle of grunge Or at the end of grunge "Infected" is is a, a, a guaranteed video hit No question about it I think it I think they could have Sold even more records If that was the first release, The first Because that's That is more of a Downbeat Kind of Nirvana-esque Sounding single Because it's so dark And and, and it's a lo- one of the Longest
3: songs as well It's like four and a half Minutes long Which is weird See See I'd, I actually was kind of oblivious as to how big a tune for them Infected had been mm-hmm. I, I like it, I, clearly I like it I think this is their best album But um, I, I didn't really click on that as being the outstanding tune On the record by any means I think there's any number of better songs than this And I, I also think that clearly 21st Century Digital Boy Was, as I see it, the obvious grunge cash That slow, lumping, simple, kind of Bush-esque Kind of post-grunge chord progression thing I, That just seemed more... More, more obvious to me as, as as a way to exploit that zeitgeist, um, but I mean, I I I think in fact it's a great song. I just I hadn't realised it was it, it's, it's a huge favourite of their shows. I didn't know that either, despite having seen them. <laughs> it Clearly doesn't stand out that much. Um, I mean, okay, so the album after this, Grey Race, we're going to talk about in the next episode at length. I'm sure they followed that way no substance which is where things start to go a little bit off the rails because as mm-hmm. this title suggests this is an album really lacking in substance that doesn't seem to have been any particularly strong batch of songs that necessitated it being made um, biggest killer in American history is okay it was on a Kerrang CD years ago and I remember it was kind of much awaited to see where they went It was sort of underwhelming. Yeah. Um, I would say this is debatably their weakest album overall. Um, Taken in, into the unknown, out of the equation, perhaps, but it's a real fucking misfire. Did it,
0: they it, just have to put it out? Was that a label obligation?
3: Partly that. They was were on, it. Yeah, I mean, they were on, they were, they, they were on a, a contract for a certain amount of albums. Four, yeah. It's incredible when you consider this came off the back of the Grey Race, which I'm going to obviously argue is fucking chock a block with. Total rippers and that they couldn 't even muster one for for this record that's that 's wild I just can 't get my head around that so
0: how, um, f- how long after the previous
3: album was on, that? only t- only two, two years, years yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. and then two and then two years after this, still in Atlantic, they brought out the new America, uh, which is another flop of, a, of an album um it has an an okay tune here and there um, I think the whole album was by greg graffin for the first time though i think brett gorowitz did like a, he was out again at this point and he did like a guest contribution on believe it it's like a tarso, um, basically. yeah um it's the last album featuring the drummer bobby share as well yeah. who by this point was kind of struggling it's i mean it's it's a pretty weak album and i think even if their contract hadn't been up they'd probably been dropped off the back of it it was really really disappointing you talk
4: yeah, about no substance having like no actual theme to it and No Substance. Do you think like that's a reflection of 90s America? Um,
3: no. <laughs> no? Uh, I, the, I think that's an interesting point, man, because... Uh, I actually have context we'll see, for that. <laughs> okay, well, can I just say, on, on the, having not considered it, based on what Dave's just said, they were clearly going to argue have a huge return to form with their next album, Process of Belief, in 2002, mm-hmm. which is post-9-11, and suddenly there's Post a Bush. hugely... Yeah, a hugely reinvigorated political appetite in the states. I kind of see where they was coming from with that man. The Late nineties was a very complicated, murky, sedate Lewinsky-ish morass of politics. It wasn't a they were, the, the band really seemed to thrive in the more contentious environments. Yeah, well,
2: I mean, f- from from Greg's point of view, when he was talking about it, he said that the whole concept of no substance and it's reflected in, in, in the artwork is that it's all about how TV and media have taking over people's brains which is a totally bullshit thing to say at any point anyway because whatever but
3: fucking been getting said for years as well it's yeah. not exactly new I mean but the way they, the, 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 I mean like just to be clear like the film They Live came out fucking 13 years prior to that yeah Videodrome was exactly. like 20 years old yeah
2: but the actual the actual creation of the record was vastly different so they went in to create an album which which they felt harkened back to the 80s that they felt was going to be very spontaneous it was a whole band in the room writing together which is something they'd never really done before anyway
3: um, for
2: good reason yeah um and there's some hilarious things that were said around about the bit of time. Is you know, it's like I wanted to bring it together like we did in the old days and have everybody get in the studio and arrange the songs together as a group. That's what Greg said. Um, he also said like it's one of the freshest records we've ever done. All, 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 all is complete bullshit, right? PR bollocks yeah. and the reason that I know it's complete bullshit because Jay went on to say it is like you know Brian and I did all those interviews with No Substance in the New America when we just kind of painted on a smile and said this is great this is the greatest record we've ever done and then I said this is fucked I'm just going to be honest from now on I'm tired of pretending I already had second thoughts when we were making these records when we made no substance We had no material We had no songs We just walked in the studio And goes Let's write some songs It's fine It's not terrible But I'm putting no context in it With Bad Religion Whatsoever like, Totally shows Completely totally shows. On autopilot yeah. But they, I think they went They had good intentions though They wanted to do something A bit different And, and New America <laughs> The New America It gets even worse With the New America By the way Holy shit man Jay Bentley <laughs> fucking hates that record because they recorded with Todd Rundgren, Rundgren right and <laughs> he basically just recorded everything DI'd apart from the drums yeah. and and he was like he, he was saying the reason I found this out is because I watched the, the primary Guitar Rig Rundown and he was saying we did in America and I went to Hawaii and just played golf for like three weeks <laughs> and it was before before they had no mobile phones, so nobody knew where I was and we went to Todd Ringgren, And we all, we all fucking love Todd Ringgren. We think he's great And he's he heard all the demos We went out to Hawaii to make it And he's like Don't bring any amps And they were like What? <laughs> <laughs> it's like well, He's saying There's no studios With a sufficient size Or any soundproofing out there anyway And the loudest thing in the band's the drummer So we just, get up, we just went to a place Where we wouldn't get any complaints About doing the drums And then we just DI'd everything else And that's why It Punk. sounds fucking shit as well Punk as fuck Yeah
3: I mean that's horribly 2000 as well It really is Mm -hmm. Um, Thankfully things changed in a fucking big way When they brought out Process of Belief in 2002 Which we'll talk about New drummer comes in Brett Gerwitz comes back We'll get to that 2004 though Is another really overlooked point Because the band I mean certainly with no substance in the new America I'd stopped following them They weren't a band that I really I mean as much as I liked Process of Belief I still thought maybe it was just a fluke Empire Strikes First is a really good record (laughs) It's their 13th album It definitely wasn't unlucky Um, They had a lot of Political commentary in it. There are loads of Iraq themes. Uh, the invasion of Iraq had happened the year before. Um, there is some hilarious pattern where they try and say that they try to avoid partisanship in their lyrics because they don't <laughs> want to. They don't want to contribute to the sort of widening gulf in American political um, conversation. Oh, but fuck I think that's off. that's that's <laughs> laughable when you consider the themes and the artwork and the subjects hey, in Bad Religion albums. I mean, you can't be call- called
0: that and not
3: have a <laughs> stance on it. But you know what? Actually. So it's interesting that you mentioned that, Anna, right? Let's talk about the Crossbuster very quickly, right? Because the Hi. Crossbuster is their logo, which is a crucifix with a, a cancelled sign through it. I fucking had a t shirt of that. I loved that shit. I loved rocking about town. Upsetting old ladies In that t-shirt <laughs> um, I was talking to my flatmate Luigi He grew up in Italy He did the exact same thing He bought a Bad Religion Crossbuster t-shirt And over there It had even more clout Because it's Why? Italy You know And and just Something so cathartic About being 15 years old And, and rocking that shirt And your parents Being a wee bit Uncomfortable with it And to listening to the band talking about that is really, really entertaining because they're like, they kind of dismiss it now, they're like we we're a 15 and we just thought, like apparently Brett had like scribbled it on some paper and they're like oh that's cool man,
4: help piss people off, let's do <laughs> it
3: let's make that our logo it's also kind of telling of like their kind of western centricism in that they were so convinced that their crucifix in that t-shirt stood for basically an avatar of all, all religion, religion yeah. <laughs> they were like <laughs> <laughs> that's it's a like, good no, point I... uh, and, and ironically the funny thing is it's one of the safest logos, you know, it just is. It's, it's one of the safest logos and certainly in certain parts of the world like Europe to, 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 to put a big strike through. You know, it has a yeah. very different connotation rocking about in a bad religion crossbuster t-shirt than it would if you had, say, a, a, an Islamic symbol or a Jewish symbol, for example. And that's, that's quite interesting <laughs> in itself because even though they claim to be sort of not fans of religion, whilst not being anti-religious, they chose to target that symbol and as they've said, they were like, we were kids it, it isn't an avatar for all religions but it's probably just as well in hindsight that that's the one that we Aye, went for.
0: totally, <laughs> totally it's, it would have been interesting if every album they had a different religious <laughs> uh, symbol crossed out on it
3: <laughs> Interesting's a, a, a polite way of putting it, <laughs> Plus, I think uh, Screwdriver already had the, the Stan <laughs> David one, sort of. Yeah. Um, but Empire Strikes First is, a, is is a really, really good album. It's got some of the best tunes of the like later years. Um, like Los Angeles is Burning, which is a tremendous tune. It's up there with some of the best. Um, social suicide is a,
2: another absolute belter? Um, it's got the triumvirate, the triumvirate, mate. It's got to, it's sinister rouge, social suicide, eighties piece. Right now, well time to face my fears, Gonna get
1: the hell out of here and a Those three absolutely back yep. to back.
3: I love it as well Sinister Rouge has this little thing that we'll talk about later in the next episode the, the little Irishness that kicks through in some of the tracks the little bit of Real Mackenzie's oh. that. graphing that oh, all good. N- oh, no, <laughs> I, 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 I know I'm with you generally speaking right but in the right measure it's fucking brilliant mm. and no they, they do-
0: no 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 any of that stuff Real Mackenzie's Dropkick Murphy's oh it's just so it's so phony sounding that's what Anna, it
3: is to yeah. Anna, why you hate yourself so much? <laughs> <laughs> why are you so ashamed of your culture? because I'm
0: from the west of Scotland <laughs> isn't everybody negative here? no, in all seriousness though I just feel like those types of sounds coming from American bands it just sounds really
3: forced I, at the risk of tartan-splaining here, um, I, th- I think it works pretty well in the context of Bad Religion, though I agree it doesn't uh way the, the band you mentioned. Um, by the way, this album has a production credit Programming by Atticus Ross. How fucking hip is that? That's Great. pretty cool.
2: <laughs> it also has, um, with his face, Mike Campbell from Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers playing guitar on Los Angeles' is Burning. Fucking hate Tom Petty. Um, yeah, same. And Chris <laughs> Willard from, from my Hot Water Music is got Writing credits and two of the songs. Which is cool.
3: Well, it's I, a it's a strong album and I didn't expect them to do it.
2: I was going um, to say that and when you you actually have, unless you've subscribed to our Patreon, you have probably still not heard this episode. What was it, the last one we put out? Best yeah, best songs on Shitty Records. I picked yeah. I picked Los Angeles as Burning and then when I went back and listened to this I completely res, like, I, I retracted that entirely. It's <laughs> not that shitty, it's right,
3: not that yeah. shitty record. Um <laughs> they, they did follow it with a, another couple of dips So New maps of hell in two thousand seven Back in Epitaph, uh, I don't massively rate it. New Dark Ages is an okay song. Yeah.
1: Uh,
3: they followed that with The Descent of Man, The Descent of Man uh, in 2010. Mm-hmm. They had a single off that the Devil in Stitches Which I really don't get Why it was a single It <laughs> It's a particularly good song I think it's a great um, song So
1: Look we'll tap every last drop Until that starts And let the devil Come join us
2: dancing Really? Yeah, yeah. There's something about it That I really like Only Vein's a good song On that too But for the most yeah. part It's kind of meandering album doesn't really do
3: a lot for me. They did follow that with True North, uh, which is their kind of penultimate album to date, which I think is really good. It's kinda of much more punky return. It goes back to some of the kind of the earlier stuff and, and it's I think just in its arrangement, it's much more simplified. It was deliberate it was as well. really, sorry it was deliberate on their part as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was really well reviewed. BBC gave it nine out of ten. Loudwire gave it four and a half out of five. Um, and then their, their their most recent album to date and we'll bring this episode to a close on it is Age of Unreason which is sort of riffing on the, the Donald Trump thing we all thought Bush was bad mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the thing right save your bad religion and you shoot your bolt on George Bush thinking he's the worst human being that you could possibly imagine and the worst person that could come around and then they go like America goes and sees you and raises you I think we're, a lot of bands
4: did that like <laughs> bands like Ministry yeah. and ev- there was a whole <laughs> the whole rock against Bush <laughs> movement and then everybody now is I just know. like
3: oh fuck, how do we, what are we supposed to do? <laughs> we should totally have a thing to describe the sort of uh, Trump impotence which is like where you've like shot your bolt in Bush and you just can't get it back up in time <laughs> and do any valid Chris?
0: <laughs> you see all those bands that um, spoke out against Bush back then, like the, the Not My President t-shirts mm. and all the rest of it, you know they that were Mike. politically I guess active at that time through their music, trying to convey their thoughts to their fans but see what i my perception is that actually just now bands aren't making music about trump or raising awareness about trump because i think they are just absolutely fatigued with it all by this stage yeah it's too obvious
4: yeah (laughs) it's like they don't need to
3: make any statements yeah you know the, the thing is so donald trump did something that, like, I think genuinely almost nobody else has ever done, which is to to actually invite and challenge the the criticism in ways that he's he's literally shameless. Like yeah. you can't shame the shameless. Aye. You could you could shame George Bush. There was still a like a facade of like, of of competence that he was mm-hmm. trying to maintain. As as you know, as much as the guy was an idiot, and as much as he's definitely responsible for the loss of a lot of human life, maybe even more so than in fact, probably more so than Donald Trump. <laughs> the, the 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 damage to the infrastructure of countries to to sanity. I mean, and Donald Trump's catching up with him. When you when you factor in COVID, not just in America, but has impact on Brazil, Russia, the disinformation around things like that. Like he's he, he is shameless. You yeah. can't even write songs to like he's killed satire. Aye. You know and, that's and, why and, South and this-
0: Park stopped uh, writing episodes about current affairs because they were like that. The world is just so ridiculous at the moment that you can't even make an episode funny about what's going on. Because it's so surreal as it is. Mm. and Absolutely. It, it you know, it's such a bizarre time that we're living yeah.
3: in. <laughs> when you have 11, 11 politicians that, that speak out in a, in a, for QAnon, then you just, it's very, very hard just... to, to, to outflank that in oh, terms totally. of, you know, satire. Um, but, I mean, fittingly, at least with Age of Unreason, they, they absolutely nailed it this brilliant song called don't lose your head which i did not expect to pop up in that that record it's it's not even particularly punk it's a bit sort of like a kind of alt rock don't lose your head don't lose your head don't lose your head,
1: don't lose your head.
3: It's got even a hint of like REM to it, albeit it's a lot fuller. But no, but I mean just in terms of sheer unabashed joyous melodic sort of indulgence, it's very, very good. It's yeah, really big nice REM fan. We are gonna get there, Anna, and you are not gonna be invited to that party. <laughs> 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 I am, um, when it comes to REM I shall not be shamed and okay. I will literally just I'm not go trying to to shame the- you. You know what, I, I'm going to pull the plug in this episode right now because I don't like where this conversation is going. <laughs> I'll meet you guys in a week when you're fucking cooled off, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I think that that's enough for the back catalogue. got two albums to get through and then next eye, so uh, we'll just nip it there. But that's the history of Bad Religion as we see it. You may well disagree, but hurry for me, fuck you. Yeah.